Support for WIPR's podcasts comes from Brightview Senior Living. Since 1999, Brightview has proudly served Greater Baltimore with vibrant, independent living, assisted living, memory care, and enhanced care. Find a community near you at brightviewseniorliving.com. A man answered and heard, I guess, a particular desperation in my voice and convinced the doctor, after a few minutes of conversation, to take me the very next day. So I thought, what could I do that would really piss off the Catholic University of America? Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Stoop Storytelling Series. I'm Jessica Hankin. And I'm Laura Wexler. This week, we continue our three-part series, Abortion is Autonomy, with stories about the experience of both providing and receiving abortion care. We have two tales today that get at the difficult decision-making that happens behind the scenes in many cases where a woman needs an abortion. This first story is from a woman named Layla who is going to be talking about how um, a pregnancy that she very much wanted uh, started to pose a life-threatening risk to her personal health. Take a listen. So my husband and I were hoping to have a baby last year. And by the middle of May, I was pregnant in my first trimester and was due on Christmas, which was really special because both my and my brother's due dates were also Christmas. So we thought that was perfect. And it was right after a miscarriage. So we thought, this one's probably the real one. But I woke up one morning with the worst migraine of my life. And out of my right eye, it felt like I was trying to look through a layer of Vaseline. Looking at light burned my eyes, and I could hear it rattle in the back of my skull. And because of my background, I knew that I wasn't having a stroke in my brain. It was probably in my eye. And I'm lucky I have an optometrist friend who's also here tonight (laughs) and got in touch with her. And she goes, yeah, you're not having a migraine. You need the back of your eye imaged urgently. And she helped me get an appointment with an ophthalmologist a couple miles away. And that appointment was brutal. I threw up violently 20 times. I lost consciousness. I saw the whole staff flitting about, a little overexcited, which is never a good thing. And the ophthalmologist walks in and goes, this happened to you because of pregnancy. I've seen this before. You had a stroke in your optic nerve and you might be permanently blind. And it could happen in your other eye. But there's nothing I can do for you because you're pregnant. Which was stunning. And how was I supposed to recover from what just happened to me if I stayed pregnant and miserably sick? There's no guarantee that an eight-week pregnancy goes to term. I had just learned that the hard way eight weeks ago. So I told her, if you're telling me I have to choose between my vision and my pregnancy, I choose my vision. I'll have an abortion. And she didn't think I needed to make that decision right away, but I was not willing to live one more day feeling like this. So my husband took me home after she just sent us home and told me to take some baby aspirin and come back in a week. And, and I called my gynecologist's office urgent line because I needed help securing an emergency abortion. You can't just walk into an emergency room and demand one. A doctor needs to have your back. And so I needed my doctor to have my back. 
but the person who picked up the phone didn't want to help me with an abortion. And so I was on my own. And at this point, it's, what, 3 p.m. on a weekday? And I knew abortion clinics closed soon. And I told myself, if I can't get an appointment at a clinic nearby in 24 hours, I'm going to have to find a way to induce some bleeding. Because then I could go to the emergency room. So I wondered, could I sterilize a coat hanger? Would it perforate my uterus? Could I throw myself down the stairs? Could I take my mom's methotrexate? And so I frantically started calling clinics. And one of them, uh, a man answered and heard, I guess, a particular desperation in my voice and convinced the doctor, after a few minutes of conversation, to take me the very next day. They had initially offered the following Monday. And I felt a little bit of relief. I spent the rest of that evening filling out the paperwork that I needed to fill out to justify an elective abortion. And I get a phone call from the same ophthalmologist who I'd seen earlier that day. And she says, your case is really complicated. Could you please go to a specific emergency room and ask for you know, a few different retina, uh, sorry, uh, ophthalmology specialists. And I said, I I can't go to the ER right now. I'm having an abortion in the morning. And she says, well, I hope you're not doing it because of the eye. (laughs) And listen, I don't normally suffer fools, but all I could muster at that time was, you saw me today, right? So I tried to sleep that night, but I was in too much pain and I couldn't. And I threw up 10 more times before I tried to sleep for good measure. And the following morning when I was in the shower, I passed out because I couldn't keep food or water down for days. And as I came back to, I pulled myself up with the big bar that's inside of our accessible shower. And we were planning on renovating that whole bathroom so that we had a bathtub instead and we would remove that bar. But I realized there wouldn't be a child to bathe, and I needed that bar to keep me upright. I remember when I was being driven to the clinic, I was wearing sunglasses and closing my eyes and covering them because light hurt so badly, and my biggest concern at the time was, are there going to be protesters? And what would I say to them? At least I wouldn't be able to see them. <laughs> and I was really lucky that at the clinic, um, I, I had Morgan, who's here, as my nurse midwife. And Morgan made me feel like the patient again. Like I was the one that mattered. And she convinced the doctor that it's not safe for this one to have a medication abortion. You need to do a procedural one right now. She looked at me and said, I don't really know what's going on with you, but you can't be pregnant anymore. Let's get this thing out of you. And they sedated me, and I went to a faraway place, and Morgan held my hand, and that's how we said goodbye. I did make my way to a specialty eye hospital emergency room where I learned that pregnancy did do this to me, but 
not in the way that we had thought. It was much more dangerous than that. The immunosuppression of pregnancy, meaning when pregnancy naturally weakens your immune system, it also allows dormant viruses to just act up. And in my case, the dormant virus that causes cold sores attacked my optic nerve and retina and was spreading rapidly. And if it had been further in my brain, I'd be dead. So an elective abortion saved my life, but we didn't know that. That day in the clinic, I was just making the decision, just like anybody else, that I thought my life would be better without the pregnancy. I remember being told that, thank God you had an abortion. You were so right to do that. And if you had come here still pregnant, we wouldn't have been able to touch you. Which I think was supposed to comfort me, but it doesn't. There were injections in my eye, samples taken from my eye. They admitted me. They gave me morphine, didn't do anything. And I stayed there for a few days, and I was discharged legally blind in my right eye. I don't have any peripheral vision at all in my right eye anymore. And what I can see out of my right eye is, well, right now I can't see any of you. I've had four retina surgeries since November because of this. And I'm not even done. I still have another surgery, hopefully only one. And it's never going to be the same, right? But it could have been so much worse. And I'm lucky. I really am. I am, I accept what happened to me physically, emotionally, but I'm not at peace with the experience of having been a second-class citizen inside of my own body. I'm especially not at peace knowing that that experience, comparatively, is luxurious. And when I think about the one turning point that ensured that I could be here today, that I could live a reasonably normal life, it is the man who answered the phone at the abortion clinic who decided to advocate for me to take me the following day. And that's just luck. And the systems that are based on luck aren't really systems at all. Thank you. Layla is an amazing advocate now for um, women who find themselves, really not just women, couples who find themselves in similar situations. And she's very aware that she has the education and the financial means. And the connections. And the connections to advocate. And yet, even though she had that, she was in a position where she was considering throwing herself down a flight of stairs to abort her baby and, and preserve her own life. We'll be back with another story after the break. Support for WYPR's podcasts comes from Catholic Charities. Celebrating its centennial in 2023, Catholic Charities is the largest private provider of social services in Maryland. Learn more about this movement to change lives at cc-md.org. This next uh, story is from Morgan, who is an abortion care provider. And um, I think I'm just going to leave it at that because it is such a powerful tale. Take a listen. I have to start by telling you this really long story about how I became a midwife, and then there's some middle stuff, and then there's some end stuff. (laughs) So 
we had not very many rules in my house growing up. My mom was one of nine, and so there weren't a lot of rules in her life, and so she didn't really bring any rules into our house. But there was this one particular rule that I thought was really unfair, which was, does anybody remember the learning channel? You know, there's like, you know, 19 kids and counting and all that. They had this thing called the birth story. I was only allowed to watch two episodes a day. I had like a cap on it. My mom was like, you'll just sit here and watch it all day. And it was basically that you'd follow these couples you know, they'd, they'd, be, they'd be happily pregnant, and then they'd have their delivery, and then they'd kind of end. <laughs> so we'd had this rule, and I thought it was really unfair. And I just, and I remember asking my mom, what's that kind of doctor? And my mom was like, that's an OBGYN. And I was like, I want to be that. She's like, oh, okay. <laughs> uh, no one in my family had ever gone to college, so they didn't really know what to do with me. So that happened, and then I went to this boarding school when I was 15 in northern Maine. That was weird. Um, and I got there and they told me, you know, yeah, you should definitely go to medical school. You're smart. You should go to medical school. You wouldn't want to waste that on being just a nurse, would you? No, of course not. Of course not. So I thought about where I'd want to go to college and I was looking around and I thought, God, I gotta get the fuck out of northern Maine. <laughs> And I thought, D.C. seems nice. And I thought, I'm religious enough. I guess the Catholic University of America sounds okay. Reader, it wasn't. <laughs> so I got there. I'm 18. I'm at the Catholic University of America. It's going okay. And then January rolls around, and it's March for Life. And I showed up at my philosophy class, and my professor said, why aren't you at the march? And I said, you know, I hadn't really thought about it, but it's not really my thing. <laughs> so, okay. And kind of carried on. And then I thought, where is everybody? <laughs> yeah, I had not really thought about it before. I thought, well, you know, everybody can get an abortion if they want one, I guess. I don't know. So... I thought, what could I do that would really piss off the Catholic University of America? <laughs> and then I became a clinic escort. And that was awesome. I loved that. Yeah. And I'd go on Saturday mornings and I'd escort people into their appointments and make sure they were safe. And then I worked the summer at the Catholic University of America they're real proud that I'm an alumni. Uh, um, and I was there over the summer, and the president of Students for Life saunters up to my desk and kind of leans on it, and she goes, I know what you do on Saturday mornings. And I said, that's cool. I know what you do on Saturday mornings, too. And then she said, and if you stay here, we will make your life a living hell for the next three years. And I said, oh yeah, I don't like it that much here. <laughs> so then I kind of maneuvered around and took this long turn. It took me six years to get my undergraduate degree. I wanted to work. I worked for the Air Force. I worked for DARPA for a bit. They're real proud of me too. <laughs> um, did a lot of that and that, that was interesting and I thought, 
God, I got to finish this biology degree so I can go to medical school. And then I thought, maybe I don't want to go to medical school. (laughs) So I'm escorting at the clinic, a clinic in Virginia. And it was cool. You know, I loved it. Was doing it, working at the Air Force, doing my thing. And this old man was there with the sandwich boards. You know, I don't even remember what it said, but he's like, moving slowly around and it's probably something like stop killing innocent babies or something like that and I remember like seeing a person and saying come on come on you're safe like let's get into the clinic and I walked her into the clinic and I came back out and he looked at me and he goes you filthy fat ugly bitch and I was like oh (laughs) I want to find out what they're doing in there (laughs) And then somewhere along the line, I found out that midwives exist. And I thought, I got to go to nursing school. So I left the Air Force. I went to nursing school in New York City. I get there, and they say, why are you here? And I say, I'm going to be a midwife, and I think I'm going to do abortions because no one seems to like that. (laughs) And they said, okay. (laughs) And they kind of left me alone to kind of do my thing. They weren't super happy that I wasn't going to go and be a med surge nurse and wipe old people's asses and all of that. (laughs) So I go and then I come back to DC with my husband and working at Planned Parenthood. I worked in L&D. I did all these things and I just thought like, I really want to go to midwifery school so I can be an abortion midwife. And people kept saying like, what what's an abortion midwife? And I was like, I don't know, but I want to be it because it makes people mad. (laughs) So working at Planned Parenthood and this person comes along and they say, I know you worked in first trimester care. You know, we go up to 20 weeks at Planned Parenthood. Want to do third trimester abortion? And I was like, sure. (laughs) Is it going to make more people mad? So there was a new clinic, and it was starting in D.C., and they asked me to come in, and it was beautiful. And I was like, cool, what's this? I don't don't know how I feel about this. They're like, we do abortions up to 32 weeks. And I was like, okay, let's try it. So the thing that you guys need to know about later abortion is that it's been in darkness for a really, really long time. There's only a few places you can go in the whole country to get a later abortion. You can go to Boulder, Colorado. You can go to Albuquerque, New Mexico. You can go to Washington, D.C. And I thought that was cool that I got to be here and see these things. The thing you need to know about later abortion patients is that there's two reasons people get an abortion later in pregnancy. There's the really, really bad things that happen to people, to their pregnancies, to themselves. Those are medical things. And then there are social things that happen to people. People lose their homes. People lose their jobs. There are tornadoes and floods. And just the worst possible things you could imagine happen to people. And then those people come from their communities, and they come to D.C., and they need an abortion. And I want to tell you about two of those people. I took care of a patient who came, and she was a mother, and she cried for the three days that she was with us. And her baby was so sick. Her baby's organs weren't developed. Her baby's lungs were never, ever going to develop. 
her baby's limbs were just things you couldn't imagine you'd see in any sort of normal pregnancy. She cried, and she was so quiet the whole time she was there. She said, I want to see the baby when the baby comes. I said, okay, you can see that baby. We'd kind of talked about it as a clinic, and we were like, this baby has extra fingers. This baby's legs are so bowed that you can't even imagine. Is she going to be okay? So we went in, and we've got the baby all wrapped up with the pink and the blue hat and the hospital blanket. We give her the baby. She starts to slowly unwrap the baby. She's looking. We're like, did she notice the extra fingers? Does she notice how bowed the legs are? Does she see how small the torso is? And we knew this baby was never going to breathe. This thing she had done, this abortion she'd had, was a very compassionate thing that a parent does who loves their baby. And she got down to the legs. She like unwraps all the way and she goes, do you think you would have walked? And I was like, no. This baby never would have breathed. And I tell you that because it's important to realize what kind of loss people have when they have an abortion later in pregnancy. They're losing their baby and then they're losing all the hope that they had for their family. The second patient that I want to tell you about, I laugh, <laughs> but it's not very funny. Um, so we have a lot of young patients. I take care of kids. And I had a patient come in, and she's 12. And we talked a lot about what it would be like to consent a 12-year-old. What does that look like? How do you explain like what the process is going to be? How do you talk about the anatomy? How do you talk? How do you deeply consent somebody to a procedure that maybe they can't understand? So we went in and I was like, you know, explaining the procedure as best I could and talking to her. And I was like, do you consent to the procedure? You know, like, do you have any questions or concerns? She looks at me and she goes, um, I'm 12. I don't want to have a baby. I was like, good answer. She goes, you know what I really want to do? And I was like, what do you really want to do? She goes, I want to go to law school. And I was like, you should go to law school. That's awesome. And I tell you that because as much as that first patient lost a lot of hope for the future, this person got it back. They got their whole lives ahead of them. They're going to go to law school. And we're going to read about them someday and say, Fuck yeah. Like, that's awesome. So I tell you these stories so that I can lead you kind of into this third chapter here, which is that the thing I'm doing now is opening the first all-trimester woman-owned clinic in the country. And some of my team is here. <laughs> and it should make you proud to be a Marylander.
because when I thought about starting this clinic, I co-own this clinic with an OBGYN. It's a dear friend of mine. And I remember when I met her, she said, there's always going to be someone to do the middle of the night C-section. There's not always going to be someone brave enough to do the abortions. And I thought, I want to know her. (laughs) And now we're opening this clinic. And we tried to start in December. And the thing you should know about this clinic is it's a community project. It's our community project, all of you guys together. Because 3,000 people on GoFundMe gave money so we could open this clinic. (laughs) And the amount of outpouring of hope and support and love and devotion that our community has shown to us should give you just the tiniest bit of hope. And that's it. I had many, many talks with Morgan as we were working on her story, and I just realized that, um, you know, someone like her and her partner who are willing to do late-term abortions really are so much at risk, and um, that, you know, the dedication to do this work and to put her life at risk to do this is it's not like theoretical it's actual and yeah so just really struck by that um so this is concludes the second of our three-part series abortion is autonomy we have more stories and information on our live events at stoopstorytelling.com we want to thank maureen harvey for producing the show and we will see you again here very soon thanks for listening fix my heart my heart